You're listening to Televisionary, the podcast about the shows that shaped us. In this episode, we take you through the history and key moments of Sex and the City, with a few detours along the way. I have some, some opinions to share. One, two... One, two, three, four. Ba, 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 da, ba, 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 da, ba, da, ba, da, ba, ba, da, 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 ba, Hi. Hello! That is going to sound so good when it's cut together. Oh I bet it's going to match up exactly. It's going to be perfect. Our pitches were matching exactly. <laughs> they sure were. And I totally stayed on the same, like, uh, on the same key the whole time. Yeah. I'm sure of it. It's pretty incredible that you have such a wide range. Oh, well, thank you. I <laughs> guess I do. I mean, your range sounds quite wide as well. Wow. So. Thank you. We're just a couple of power hummers. We are. We're also like at least a double threat. We can talk and hum. Absolutely. And we can make excellent facial expressions, but you can't see those. No, but for the first time in a while, we can see each other. We can. Elena finally got a new laptop that has a working camera. So this is our first recording where we can actually see each other. Yay! We'll see if it makes a difference. If we it's will. worse, we're going to blame it on that. <laughs> Before we get too far, I am Elena Hillard. And I am Cody Hoffman. And this is Televisionary, the podcast where we discuss the shows that shaped us. Today we are going to be talking about a show that is near and dear to my heart, Sex in the City. Two things Elena loves. <laughs> I like at least one of those things. <laughs> we'll leave it up to you to guess which one. <laughs> leave a comment below. <laughs> this show is not quite as near and dear to my heart, I guess, as it is to yours, but I did recently finish watching it for the first time, and I definitely enjoyed it. Got a lot to talk about regarding this show, as do you, Elena. Yeah, you you recently just watched all of it, right? I did, yes. I had never... Well, I think I had seen a couple of odd episodes over the years, like, when I was a teenager, I think it was on TBS for a little while. So they were like heavily edited versions, but that was the only time I had ever seen it until I just started to binge it a couple of months ago and just finished a couple of weeks ago now. Watched the whole series and the two movies. So I am well versed and ready to talk about it. I think it was funny at one point you texted me and you were like, I really think that you should rewatch it if you can, because there's so many things you might pick up on. But 
I have probably seen this show in its entirety at least six times. I first watched it, I rented the DVDs from our local video rental store that literally was in existence until COVID happened. It finally closed. The silver screen. Silver screen. Never forget. Never forget. I rented the DVDs from there multiple times as a teenager have watched it at least three times through in my adult life and it's just one of those shows that I'm kind of like constantly watching if I'm just bored and like getting ready for the day I just throw on an episode and I did rewatch quite a bit in preparation for this I kind of skipped around there were episodes I had forgotten about and things like that but I've seen it a lot however I have not seen either of the movies Oh, really? Yeah, really. I should have looked into them a little bit more, maybe in preparation for this, but I've just never really been drawn to watch them. I do know, and I'm sure we'll get more into this later, I know that the first one's good, the second one is insane, but has like a weird cult following, so I don't know. Is it a cult of people who don't enjoy quality movies? I don't know. (laughs) It's, uh, well, I don't want to get into any topics that we will divulge more on later, but I have some, some opinions to share. I can't wait to hear it. But before we get there, I think we should probably at least touch on the history of the show a little bit, because we have so much to talk about today. Correct. So, Sex and the City was loosely based on the book by the same name, by the author Candace Bushnell. That book was published in 1997, and it was an anthology of her columns written for the New York Observer that started in 1994. So the character of Carrie Bradshaw is based, you know, pretty much exactly on Candace Bushnell's life and escapades, if you will call them that. I don't know if everyone is aware of this, but Carrie Bradshaw shares initials with Candace Bushnell. Yeah, I just blew your mind. I know. And the show, like Carrie's story arc, if you can even call it that, kind of mirrors Candace Bushnell's. You know, Carrie in the later seasons has her columns turn into a book, just like Bushnell did of the one that inspired the series. So kind of a weird full circle meta moment (laughs) happening there. Carrie Bradshaw is the main character of Sex and the City. If you've never watched it, we'll fill you in a little bit on the characters and whatnot that we will be referencing throughout this episode. Sarah Jessica Parker played Carrie Bradshaw. She has these three best girlfriends that live with her and brunch with her and do all of the shopping and things with her (laughs) in New York City. Anyway, her three friends are Miranda Hobbs, portrayed by Cynthia Nixon, Samantha Jones, portrayed by Kim Cattrall, and Charlotte York, later Charlotte York McDougal, and then Charlotte York Goldenblatt, portrayed by Kristen Davis. Thanks for that. Yeah, I gotta keep things straight here, you know. Yeah, and I think all four of these women are definitely the cornerstones of the show, and as we'll go on to discuss, they each sort of fit, I don't want to say a stereotype, But they each are a very specific kind of personality trait and 
I would say most people, even if you haven't watched the show, are kind of aware of that. There is sort of this general sense that these characters have become roadmaps for women in a certain way and uh, have become something to identify as. But I don't want to go too in-depth right now, but I think most people listening have probably heard of them at some point. Probably. I think so. So this show was created by Darren Starr, who, if you didn't know, is kind of a legend in my mind (laughs) anyway. He also created Beverly Hills 90210, the original, Melrose Place, Younger, Emily in Paris, and of course, Sex in the City, which we are talking about today. This show ran for six seasons from June 6th, 1998 to February 22nd, 2004, for a total of 94 episodes. Yeah, and then two movie sequels were released, the first in 2008, which grossed over $418 million, which is a huge sum of money. And the second movie was released in 2010 and grossed over $294 million, which is also a huge sum of money, especially for what is easily one of the worst movies I have ever seen. Oh my god, I want to watch it so bad now. (laughs) You need to. I can't believe that you haven't. I can't believe I haven't either. Honestly, the first movie is basically just like a mini season of the show. Like it's basically five episodes of the show just kind of cut into movie form. And in that way, it's not like it doesn't feel terribly original or necessary, I guess, because it really is just like a continuation of the story from the series. The second movie is the polar opposite. It is an excursion that the ladies take to Abu Dhabi, and it's a two and a half hour movie that is absolutely at least an hour and a half too long for the amount of story that is going on. It in no way feels like anything Sex and the City had ever done in a bad way because they're just like hijinks like at the end of the movie the ladies are like trying well someone tries to buy a purse from some black market stand in the middle of an Abu Dhabi market or whatever and then the ladies get like chased out of the market area by all these men who you can only assume would stone them but then the ladies end up like running into some back room where there are a bunch of ladies in burkas who have fabulous outfits on under their burkas and the girls borrow the burkas to escape this horde of men who are trying to hunt them down and it all just feels pretty racist and it's yeah not a good look yeah also the entire thing is basically a commercial like it feels like just a commercial for abu dhabi except they didn't even film it in abu dhabi they filmed it in morocco wow because abu dhabi wouldn't let them film there probably because they saw the script and were like (laughs) no thank you oh my god but yeah it's basically a huge waste of two and a half hours so you don't need to watch the second one unless you like i said enjoy low quality films it is not integral to an appreciation of sex in the city by any means 
moving on from a movie that probably didn't need to be made to a TV series that didn't need to be made. That's a very good segue. (laughs) Thank you. We should mention that there was a prequel series called The Carrie Diaries, which aired on the CW for two seasons from 2013 to 2014. And this is weird to me for a couple reasons. First of all, and I think that you mentioned this to me, for a show that ran as long as Sex and the City did, we really know nothing about these characters' backstories. And after I read the synopsis of the Carrie Diaries, what little we did know about Carrie's backstory doesn't even really match up with what ended up happening in the Carrie Diaries. It's not canon, in my opinion. (laughs) Interesting. I think that I tend to forget about this, but these women are are like nothing up until the point that the show starts, at least for mm-hmm. us. We really know very little about them. Yeah, it, basically, it's like their lives begin when we meet them in the pilot. Like, we just know nothing about who they were before they moved to New York, who they were before they got their current jobs or like whether any of them even talk to anyone in their family, which of their family members are still alive, where they went to school, where they grew up. Like I was thinking about Carrie being the lead character and trying to think of, while I was watching the show, trying to think of why she turned out the way that she did, you know, and trying to think of what in her background might have made her so materialistic and so like intent on only finding her worth in a man. And the only thing that we know about her from her background is one episode where we find out that her father was not in the picture. We don't know anything else about like whether she even talks to her mom, whether she has any siblings, whether she has like any grandparents that influenced her in any way. We don't know where she grew up. We don't know like where she went to college. We don't know anything about her. And in some ways, that feels like the laziest writing in the world to me. That feels like such a mistake and one that could have easily been corrected. But on the other hand, it makes me wonder, is that intentional? Are we only looking at Carrie for who she is now? Because who she was before she got to New York and became quote-unquote somebody doesn't matter. Because once you've made it in New York, then Hmm. you're a a real person. See, I thought you were going to say something different than what you said. But I like that theory, and I think that allows you to analyze the show in a really different way. But my theory was that as hard as it is to believe what I'm about to say, and again, this is my theory, but as I alluded to already, these characters have gone on to be these sort of cultural identities for women to associate with. And so my thought was maybe it was intentional from day one, hey, let's create these four women who are vastly different from one another and kind of leave them empty in terms of backstories so that viewers can more easily identify with them. Because the less you kind of know about them and their past, the more you can slip them on 
and associate with them. And so that was sort of my thought, especially looking at how they have gone on to be, you know, oh, who are you? A Miranda Carey, blah, 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 Samantha, the other one, (laughs) Charlotte. (laughs) So, yeah, that was sort of my thought with it. And if you look at the show overall, I mean, it's not just Carrie, even the the other women, you know, I was thinking, well, we kind of know about Miranda because Mm -hmm. her mom dies, but we really don't. Like the episode where Miranda's mom dies and she goes home, we don't learn anything about her relationship with her mom other than that maybe it was a little strained, which like what fully grown woman doesn't have like a slightly strained relationship with her mom. That episode's all about grief and loss and like going through the motions of that. It's not about the personal connection Miranda had with her mom. It's about these overarching emotions. And even tertiary characters like Mr. Big, he doesn't even have a name. He's just (laughs) Mr. Big. He's anonymous. So this thread of like kind of unclear backstory it's not just the main women it kind of extends to all facets of the show and it it's either the worst writing ever or for whatever reason whatever if it was what you were saying or what i'm saying hopefully i guess it was intentional i can absolutely see how it could have been intentional and i think you make a lot of good points there in like the way that these characters were sort of just envisioned more as personalities than as people and so in that way like it makes sense that they wouldn't need to fully flesh out the backstories and clearly it wasn't necessary for people to relate to the characters and to identify with them and to treasure them and care about them but i also appreciate writers who can take the time to really fully develop people and make me invest more fully in someone's journey in watching them grow and change from the person that they started out in episode one to the person that they become in episode 94. And like you said, these characters, they don't really do that (laughs) too much. Like there's, there's just not a, I mean, they do grow and change in certain ways, but it's not like they are in anyway really discernibly different from the pilot episode to the finale especially not carrie like carrie really doesn't grow at all i would argue like she that's my opinion some people might feel differently but i think that she's still the exact same petulant child in the season or the series finale that she is in the first episode yeah i mean i would argue the only two characters that i see any real change in are charlotte and samantha but even with charlotte her change as a person is more to do with elements of her life rather than maybe her internal character changing she just starts to think about these things she's wanted in a different way which I guess leads into the fact that all of these characters in one way or another are pretty materialistic people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. For me, I appreciate the show. I enjoyed watching it and made me laugh many times <laughs> over the hundreds of times, even over the course of the 94 episodes. But I have to say that I, <laughs> the characters all just kind of annoy me at certain points, which is rare for a show that I enjoyed so much. <laughs> like, I I have a bone yeah. to pick with all of them in some way. And I think that's probably mostly because of 
the writing. Like, maybe it's just that they didn't feel like fully realized people enough for me. And so some of the decisions that they made, some of the, you know, journeys that they took in their lives didn't feel as authentic as I wanted them to feel. And as much as I expect being a television viewer in 2021, where we've had so many shows that have done character development so well, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, we weren't at this point yet. So maybe I wouldn't feel so strongly if I was watching the show for the first time as it aired, but now it just feels hollow to me. I get that. And not I don't want to talk about this too much right now because I think I'll probably bring this up a few times. But the show that always kind of corresponds with it in my mind is Girls Mm -hmm. because it's a show a generation or two later starring four women who are also unlikable. But for a very different reason, it's because they are so developed, I think, and so flawed And we see them change, but not always in the way we would want them to. And it's interesting, and I'll get into it more in a little bit, but I think that that show is a really good foil for Sex and the City because they are fundamentally kind of the same concept done in a different way and maybe done better in girls, maybe not. I mean, I think Sex and the City is maybe more a tightly written comedy than Girls is, but Girls is definitely a much more nuanced, edgy show in my mind. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with that. I think with Sex and the City, there's a question of whether the writers were just lazy. (laughs) And in Girls, there's no question about that. Like there is a clear path pretty much the whole way through, but the results were just kind of mixed, maybe, depending on what you're looking for. (laughs) It's going to be really interesting to see what happens because a few months ago it was announced that Sex and the City is going to be continuing. We are getting another season, but it's not going to be called Sex and the City. It's going to be called And Just Like That, which is (laughs) so weird. Uh But after having two movies already and controversially not having a third movie because it was in the works and out of the works and in the works and out of the works. We finally are going to get another sequel of sorts, but there's going to be no Samantha, no Mr. Big, and it kind of begs the question, why are we even doing it? That is a very good question, and it's one that I do not know the answer to, um, other than just feels like a blatant cash grab. I don't know why there's such a rash of reboots happening lately, because most of them just are not good. I mean, some shows have done them decently well, but for the most part, it just feels like people are seeing dollar signs and wringing any sense of integrity or legacy out of the show that they can. And it just breaks my heart. I mean, I I get it from like a financial, intelligent kind of investment standpoint where it's always better to bet on the audience you already have mm-hmm. than to 
bet on an audience you don't know you're going to get. And especially for these networks, which doesn't apply to this show so much. But, you know, I know that Paramount Plus just had this huge summit where they announced a slew of reboots for like a streamer that's associated with like a network or a cable you know, channel, I think doing the reboots is like a really, really just like smart financial decision as much as like, I hate it. And I don't think that that's what I don't think that's what TV should really be about. But I understand it for this one, though, I, I don't want to talk for too long. I feel like I've already rambled so much. But Sex in the City is such an iconic show. And it has such a diehard fan base that are gonna watch no matter what. And even, as I said earlier, like the second movie, which is horrible, the fans, there are still fans out there who love it. And like, I follow multiple like low tier comedians who are so obsessed with it and watch it weekly. And (laughs) that blows my mind after hearing your review of it. So, like, I think it's kind of a weird dichotomy that exists where, like, the same people who love the original can also kind of love to hate watch the bad sequel. And, like, don't get me wrong, I am gonna watch and just like that, but I don't think it's gonna be what I want it to be. I think there is something compelling about the idea of following this group of women who are now what, like 20 years older, they're in a different generation, maybe not 20 years, about 20 years older. Mm -hmm. So they're going to be almost like golden girls age (laughs) women. So like, that's intriguing. We never get enough of older women like living like a sexy lifestyle. But, you know, is it going to deliver on that? Like, probably not. Like, it's probably not going to be that groundbreaking or cool. And there's also something intriguing about Samantha not coming back because friendships do change. And I did see that it's not like she died. It's not like something crazy happened. It's They've said that it's going to be just that the women grew apart. But it's going to be like one mention in the first episode, if that, and then nothing else. So I think all of the elements that could be kind of cool will probably not be followed up on. I have that impression too. I This just seems very much like it will not be the same show that people expect from Sex in the City. Which, I mean, that's up to the creators and producers and whoever is coming up with you know the storylines and the style that they're going for and all that you know that's their creative decision but it i just can't imagine it being any good and it's probably unfair for me to judge a show that as of this recording has not filmed a single second of footage (laughs) but it just makes me kind of cringe that they are retooling or resurrecting this show and making it something different just because they aren't able to make it something the same. I don't find a lot of value in it as a viewer in this day and age to just do something for the money. Like, I feel like we are past the point in television, in this golden age, if we're still calling it that, of television, where you are only making decisions because they seem like they will be financially viable. Maybe I 
am looking at the world through rose-colored glasses and hoping that people are only making content decisions based on the quality of that content rather than on the dollar signs. But I, like, that's what I want. I want television to earn its place, to earn its keep, and to justify its being made in the first place. And this reboot and most reboots to me just don't justify it and i don't know when we're gonna learn that lesson that we should just stop watching things that are bad so that they stop making them but yeah i'm gonna watch this show too (laughs) yeah this could be a whole we could have a whole episode just talking about the current state of tv because every time i go on netflix which i don't pay for but zach's dad pays for for us i just am reminded that tv is in such a weird place but that is not what this episode is about so so let's talk about some touch points throughout the show some interesting plot lines and character arcs and whatnot we're kind of gonna go through these pretty quickly because sex in the city is not a show that really has a lot of character arcs as we've talked about there's not much character development and so the characters just kind of do the same sorts of things a lot of the time but there are certain journeys that the characters go on that feel worth mentioning for sure Uh, the first one i would say the probably the most poignant maybe um is in the sixth season when samantha gets cancer and this is a diversion into something a little more serious a little less frivolous for her and it's still handled in a comedic way but it's taken more seriously than you might expect the show to take it i actually really appreciated the way they handled this with her character and i don't know i i thought it was a different kind of view of a character's illness journey than i had seen on television before especially at this point in time like in 2003 2004 there hadn't been you know, too many shows that were willing to to broach that subject in a humorous way, or maybe even in any way, really. But it felt authentic still, despite being funny. Yeah, I agree. I There's a lot of moments throughout her cancer journey that I really just are some of my favorite moments in the show. I, I love the part where she's in the waiting room with the nun. I think that that's a really fun moment. Mm -hmm. Her whole relationship with Smith and, you know, just seeing her navigate this with someone else. But more than anything, what this kind of reminded me of, and it's something that you can easily kind of forget when you're watching, is that Samantha's like about 10 years older than the other three girls in the show. Like she's supposed to be a little bit older than the rest of them. And I think there's something really compelling about watching her navigate this and sort of in uh, maybe not a super, super deep way, but in a way, like kind of grappling with mortality and these deeper things I don't know it it's fun to watch and she's such an amazing actress she's definitely my favorite character out of all of them and she handles this whole arc very well I think I agree with that I 
sort of wish that it had happened earlier in the series, yeah. to be honest, because it, it for me, is probably Kim Cattrall's best acting throughout this mm-hmm. season. But it also feels the most like it was what I was waiting for, I guess, in terms of character development. That journey does kind of shape her as a person, where before she had just been the hilarious slut whose puns <laughs> I admired so much. And you know, there was not any depth to her character really at all. And then you get, you know, smacked across the face with a cancer diagnosis, which happens to, you know, so many people. And it really did shape her perceptions of things and changed her in ways that you wouldn't expect a character to change on this show. Yeah. I just really liked that they were willing to go there because I feel like a lot of shows wouldn't. And I honestly didn't expect Sex and the City to go there, but they did. And I appreciate that. Another thing that I personally didn't expect them to do is when Miranda finds out that she's pregnant with Brady, who we know she ends up having. But in the beginning, she had been planning to have an abortion and she ends up deciding to keep the baby. And I think that for me, this is one of the most shocking moments of the show. I remember watching the show for the first time and being shocked by this because Miranda is this high-powered lawyer, career woman. This is a show about women in the 21st century, like, well, 20th, 21st -hmm. century at this point. You expect her to have an abortion and she decides to keep the baby. I know that not everybody is going to agree with me on this, but to me, that is a much more powerful statement than her having had the abortion. I think it's so amazing that we see someone and it's not that she feels guilted into not having the abortion or anything like that. It's just she decides that that's what she wants and she does it. And really, isn't that what the right to choose is all about? I absolutely agree with you. I think, like, you spend that whole episode expecting that she's, yes, going to get the abortion at the end. And even earlier in the episode, you hear Carrie and Samantha just sort of flippantly talk about the abortions they've had. And it's, you know, clear that the show's stance is, oh, abortion is, you know, not a big deal for us to talk about anymore. And then Miranda does make the choice to have the child. And yes, she is afraid of motherhood. And it's not something that even later in the series, she is shown necessarily being excellent at. (laughs) Uh, But she's a woman who made her choice to have a child and at first does not really care to have the child's father in the picture. That changes over time but I think you're so right that it really is a stronger statement for her to not have the abortion based on some of the research that I have done there were a lot of you know feminists and you know different people writing think pieces about the fact that she chose to have the baby instead of having the abortion and I just feel like those people kind of missed the point yeah like you don't have to show a character deciding to have an abortion just to show that you are liberal and that you are progressive. There are liberal and progressive people who want children and realize that even if it doesn't come about the way that you thought it would, doesn't mean that you can't make it work in your life. This was another piece of the show that I felt 
really represented real life in an authentic way. Yeah. And as a counterpoint to Miranda, I guess maybe not a counterpoint, but, you know, Carrie's arc through this episode where she is thinking about when she had her abortion and she's going back to visit the guy that got her pregnant and he's still working at like the same job or whatever and thinking about it. There was also a lot of critique about her doing that, about her exploring, you know, what it would have been like had she kept the baby, how old the baby would have been and feeling kind of guilty about it. And I just don't think that that's that weird. If you do have an abortion, it's going to weigh on you. And I don't think it's an easy decision whether you believe life begins at birth or beforehand. If you like, it's a potential change to your life, if nothing else. And so I think even critiquing Carrie and her rethinking of like what her life could have been like had she had the baby, there's nothing wrong with that because that's relatable. Like I think so many women, even if they've never had an abortion, could easily start thinking about what their life would be like had they had kids, had they not had kids. Like, I don't think that should be critiqued, but I do know that there are many people out there who do critique it. So, Yeah, I think this is definitely not the first time that abortion was sort of discussed and evaluated on television, but I don't think that it had been done quite in this way before. At least I'm not aware of it being done like this. I appreciate that the show does that, but I, like, just knowing how much flack the show gets from all sides for the ways that it, like, (laughs) presents its characters and the way that, you know, there's just such a debate around, is the show feminist or anti-feminist or post-feminist or whatever, whatever, you know, and we'll get into that more a little bit later. But the show, no matter how it handled this subject, it was going to get criticism from some corner. Absolutely. And I think that it took the path forward that was smartest, not just for the characters, but also really kind of makes the most impactful message societally, which is that it's every woman's choice. It really is. And you don't have to just get an abortion if you are a liberal person who's not expecting to be pregnant. Like, (laughs) it's that is weird to have to say. But uh, I think that the way that the show presented that whole storyline really was pretty genius and an example of the show not being lazy in writing. Which, coming back to what I said earlier, sort of makes me think that it was intentional that they were leaving out so much of the backstory because they showed on a couple of fronts, both with the cancer storyline, this abortion storyline, um, the infertility storyline that Charlotte had, which we will get to in a little bit, that they could handle those subjects deftly and yeah. intelligently. So maybe I'm reframing my stance on that. I don't know. <laughs> I'll keep thinking about it and let you know by the end of the episode. But anyway, one of the things I just mentioned was that Charlotte was incapable of having children or thought for a long time that she was because she and her husband Trey weren't able to get pregnant. This was a big hurdle for her to overcome when Miranda got pregnant because Miranda at first didn't really even seem to want the child and all that Charlotte ever wanted basically was a child. I think for me Charlotte's journey from not being able to get pregnant and then finally making peace with the fact that she wasn't going to sort of, but then ending up pregnant and adopting and all of that stuff. I think that 
hers was the most rewarding journey for me. And it's one that probably carries the most significance to the largest amount of people, honestly, watching yeah. the show. Because that, that journey is something that so many people have experienced. As much as Charlotte annoyed me most of the time, I was still <laughs> rooting for her to get what she wanted. Yeah, I think Charlotte is such an interesting character. She's definitely the the one that I kind of relate to the least, but I enjoyed watching her navigate the problems that came her way because in a way she was hit with some of the most high stakes problems. I mean, her whole marriage with Trey, there's the infertility, there's the penis problems that she has with him. There is infidelity. She ends up cheating on him. There's the prenup, the mother-in-law, like, there's a lot going on there for her, and she easily could have alienated us even more, I think, had she not been faced with these problems that really tested her quite early on in the series. I don't want to go too in-depth here, but like, even watching her kind of learn how to move on, she they go to that relationship seminar at one point. That is one of the most touching moments of the show's and show and actually one of the moments in which Carrie is maybe one of one of her shining moments as just being a good friend where she grabs the mic and she's like she's trying <laughs> to move on like but yeah I don't know I mean it's to take it back to the penis problems that her husband has I feel like that's a pretty groundbreaking moment in TV. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'm not aware of other shows that <laughs> really were that graphic <laughs> about those kinds of problems, uh, which you couldn't really be on anywhere other than HBO at the time. <laughs> so that sort of makes yeah. sense. But I, I don't remember the specifics, I guess, so much of what, like the exact journey of that. But I applaud the show for not, being afraid to go there with the penis problems for having the balls to go there, if you will. <laughs> because it is a problem that pervades a lot of society and no one ever wants to talk about it. But it is the kind of thing that a group of girlfriends at brunch will talk about. And the show does a really good job of depicting those kind of conversations as they happened, I think. That's one of the ways that the show really does feel like it was breaking new ground. It was showing the real lives of these people and the ways that they discussed them in confidence in their friendship groups. And, you know, it's not a comfortable topic. It's not something that anyone really wants to talk about, but it makes sense that it would come up. Yeah. Another way that I think that the show really realistically portrayed something a group of women might go through, or specifically in this case, Samantha, is that she actually enters into a relationship with another woman. And this isn't the only instance we see of like the women of the show sort of experimenting with lesbian relationships, I guess, for lack of a better word. We see Charlotte at one point befriend a group of high-powered lesbians in the art world. We see Carrie kiss another girl in the bisexual episode, which is controversial and did not age well in many ways. But I think that for me, this feels like another instance of the show going somewhere where we might not have seen another show go, at least not in a serious kind of way, and do it in a really 
it felt really real to me. And it also, not to critique it too much, but it does kind of show that these wealthy, white, heterosexual women in New York City are able to maybe experiment romantically in ways that other groups of people would not have been able to do with as much acceptance. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. I really like the fact that this is Samantha's first relationship, really. I think it was season four that this happened. And up until that point, we had only seen Samantha just having sexual flings. And like, this is the first time that we see her in a relationship with any kind of monogamy, with anything deeper than just coitus <laughs> and <laughs> it's with a woman and it's kind of not a big deal that it's with a woman like samantha certainly doesn't make a big deal about it there are jokes made and everything about it you know it's still done in a lighthearted enough way as you would expect the show to handle it but it does feel like something that i think a lot of women or maybe not a lot but a certain percentage of women have gone through and like you said it does have this realism to it this quality of reflecting the actual experiences of women, particularly, as you said, well-to-do women in an urban <laughs> setting. <laughs> yeah. And, like, in that way, it feels quietly revolutionary. Yeah. I think it makes so much sense for Samantha's character, too, that this is her first real relationship, if you don't count her dating, uh, I think his name was James, the tiny penis guy at the beginning of season two. But this is really, I mean, this is it. This is the, the big one for her. And she's such a powerful woman that it, it makes sense to me that it would take another powerful woman for her to maybe change her mindset surrounding monogamy. Yeah, I don't know. This whole, this whole arc with her was very interesting for me, but I don't really have much else to say about it other than, you know, it was pretty badass. <laughs> I agree with that. <laughs> and we will discuss more of the show's dalliances with homosexuality later on because there is a lot to get into there. But let's move on to another touch point. You might have noticed throughout these touch points that none of them center around the main character of the show, Carrie. And I made the observation that Carrie basically doesn't change over the course of the show. Like, none of the big important things that happen to characters over the six-season run happen to Carrie. She is basically the same person on day one that she is on the final day and all of her basically interesting storylines for lack of a better word are centered around just her relationships which i find so unique now there might be two exceptions to that the first of which is her cessation of smoking <laughs> which does not <laughs> seem like a big thing just to talk about it but when you think of how incessantly she smoked for the first couple of seasons it's just like Every time you see her, she has a big nasty cigarette in her mouth, which I hate. Uh, like, I just, I can't stand smoking. So I think that's part of the reason why I disliked Carrie so much at the beginning, just because she was always chain smoking. Then she has a relationship with Aiden, who convinces her to quit smoking. His only good contribution to the yes, show. <laughs> the only reason that anyone needs to thank Aiden for anything, because otherwise he just ruined crap. But 
but anyway, like that is really the one point in the show when Carrie decides to stop smoking, to stop doing something that she knows is bad for her. That yeah. I think, like, that's her only redeeming quality <laughs> to me. I just like don't really think that her smoking is even even really tied to her changing at all because to me it all corresponds to Mr. Big. She stops smoking because of Aiden, then she starts fucking around with Mr. Big again. They smoke after sex. She's on and off for a while. And then even in the finale, which I just watched today, where we know Mr. Big comes back to save her, in that episode, someone offers us a, offers her a cigarette, she smokes it, and then we see her with a pack of cigarettes later in the episode, and she's started smoking again. To me, the smoking is just a symbol. I don't even think it has to do with her as a character really at all, other than it standing in as sort of a representation of where she's at in her romantic life. But I could be wrong, but that is how I interpret it. Uh, see, I think the main reason I think it could be something bigger than that is just because I hate smoking so much. And I want to like Carrie. I want to like her, but she's like everything that she does is just, it's like she is intent on making me not like her. So when she makes the choice to quit smoking and it kind of sticks, I appreciated that for her journey. And like you said, it doesn't really seem to last she i don't think that she's smoking at all in the movies if i remember okay. correctly but it sort of makes sense in the last episode that she would pick it up because she's in france she's in paris everybody smokes in france right i've never been there but that's what i hear that's and all that's just what they say dog in the urine in the streets yeah and everyone's walking around with their cigarettes and their baguettes and stepping in dog poop on the sidewalk everything's very phallic in france <laughs> <laughs> And so I I was willing to excuse that cigarette that she had in the finale and hope that it wasn't a return to that nasty habit. But maybe you are right that I am reading more into it than needs to be read. I, I do think it's interesting to see her smoking so much just from the kind of point in time in which the show took place. I think that was like right around the time where a lot of laws were changing in New York City of like where you could and couldn't smoke. And then, you know, even after that and in other parts of the country, you know, restaurants not allowing you to smoke in there anymore, bars, etc. So I think for me, it's kind of fun to see it because it feels very much of a different time. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe vaping has changed everything. <laughs> Maybe Carrie will be vaping in And Just Like That. The movie's sponsored by Jewel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, my. I wanted to bring up one more quick point here before we get into some of the like deeper impact of the show. And it's a little moment that happens in the finale, which is never followed up on because the show ended. But... In the finale, Carrie's acting like a child, and Petrovsky, the man that she moved to France with, who's one of the worst characters of the show, in my opinion, uh, he slaps her across the face. And I, even in researching this episode and, like, typing into Google, Petrovsky slaps Carrie, like, no one is talking about this. And to me, it feels like such a huge deal. It is 
way over the line of what anyone should accept in a relationship. And I know that Big ends up coming and saving her and like the show ends and everyone's happy, but it kind of bothers me that it's not really talked about or analyzed more by anyone because even for Carrie, like that's a lot to settle for. (laughs) Being slapped in the face? I don't know. Am I like wrong? Like is this I just remember being totally shocked when I saw this the first time and feeling shocked every time I've seen it since then. See, I must say that it did not shock me in the way that it seems to have shocked you. Like, I just felt like the character of Petrovsky had such a darkness within him that was not fully explored like you knew it was there the whole time but you just didn't see the full extent of it and that slap was the full extent of it or maybe not even the full extent of it but a stronger glimpse than you had seen before and you just know that she's not going to end up with the guy so when that moment happened and she does get slapped for me it was like okay finally this is the thing that will you know, wake her up and make her put this guy behind her. But I I like that you brought this up because I honestly wouldn't have thought twice about it. I think that it's an important part of Carrie's journey, however limited that journey might be. But I, I don't think that it does feel surprising at all. Like it's maybe it's because it was the finale and they didn't have time to explore any of it afterward, but it wasn't treated like a big deal. Maybe I should want it to be a bigger deal because anyone slapping another person in a relationship should be a big deal. But for me, it was just like, you kind of knew it wasn't going to work out anyway. So that was just the way that it finally, like that was just the last straw. I think you had a good point there in that Petrovsky's darkness is definitely there leading up to this point. And even the other women never really seem to be all that into her relationship with him but it still feels even for this show it just it almost just feels like out of place to me it feels like this really serious thing that happened that's not really addressed i i don't know i'm glad that it didn't happen any earlier because can you even imagine a whole season of like carrie being physically abused by (laughs) someone no it's not that kind of show would you like to get into some of the many impacts that this show has had? I would like to. Do you want to kick us off? Thanks for listening to Televisionary. Tune in next week to hear part two of our two-part Sex in the City series. If you like what you heard, share this episode with a friend. You can follow us on Instagram at Televisionary Podcast, and don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. Bye!